We're recording this right before Memorial Day weekend, Reed, which is sort of the unofficial start to summer. Well, so here in Minnesota, summertime to us is sort of the equivalent of the time when state fairs start to happen. And whenever I think about state fairs, I always think about fried foods. I'd love to get your reaction to some of the fried things that could potentially show up at some of these fairs. Have you ever had fried butter before? No, that seems like that'd be difficult to pull off. Fried Kool-Aid. Nobody goes wanting any of this stuff. Like, what percentage of their sales are based off of dares? Fried jelly beans. And, you know, what does it say when, like, the deep-fried Twix uh, or deep-fried Twinkies are not, uh, like, that's not shocking anymore? You could deep-fry anything in, in America, can't you? I mean, that's pretty much printed on the money, isn't it? In God we trust and we can deep-fry anything. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 226. Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. Ready for summer to be upon us. This is one of my favorite times of year, you know, and I think some of it's just because you have that, you know, association with school being out, you know, the feeling you had growing up and it's like you're out of school for the summer kind of a thing. That's kind of like what we did most of last year anyway, right? <laughs> We've been out for summer for about 18 months. Okay. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back or welcome if it's your first time to Touchpoint. Uh, you can find a little bit more about the episode you're listening to and more broadly the show you're listening to. And more broadly than that, the network of shows that we are on over at touchpoint.health. Navigate over there um, and you can check out some of the other shows on the network, show hosts, topics, all that kind of fun stuff. While you're there, you'll notice there is a place that you can, it says the TPS report. Click on that, sign up for that. It is an email that'll drop in your inbox every Monday morning, five stories to start your week. That's it. We're not going to spam you, email you a whole bunch, ask you to do anything. Just uh, several stories aggregated by the show host of the network. We will pause for just a second while you're there. Check out the other shows, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. And then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I'm excited today to jump into this topic when you're planning your content strategy and that there really are some of the principles that are, are coming to light we should take into account. And so today we're going to dive into what I call the three S's to help guide your content strategy. SEO, structure, and then schema. This is interesting, right? Because I think this uh, is playing a bigger and bigger role you know, as people trying to find us online and kind of that awareness and acquisition phases, uh, and even consideration. It's related to the fact that we're building more and more systems that are interconnected. So now you have your website connected to maybe your email marketing system, so you can auto-generate emails based on your blog posts, and you know maybe you federate content out to your social media channels and listing management. So why don't we dive in? Uh, let's take them one at a time. Well, actually, you and I are going to take two of them, and then the third will be covered by an interview that will be featured later on in the podcast today. The first one is around SEO. We found an article that outlines how SEO is critical to a content strategy. They outline seven uh, kind of seven insights that you can kind of take away and actually use to put this thing together. But it's it's from Search Engine Journal, which is a great site, a lot of really interesting content. And you know, the aforementioned TPS report, a lot of times we'll have articles from from Search Engine Journal. But this particular one's called Seven Ways to Easily set up an SEO content strategy. So why why is SEO still important? Because quite frankly, a lot of people don't start searching for things directly on your website. I don't think that anybody in the community would say, I'm wondering what this weird rash is on my skin, and they hop over to your hospital website, right? They usually start out on various different search engines. So SEO is critical to help drive the right traffic to your website. Well, and I think what's interesting is, like most things that we deal with, uh, it's evolved over the years and become more complex. And SEO is not exempt from that, right? So we used to focus a lot of our time and effort around keywords, keyword strategies, like a laundry list, an Excel document full of words, and then kind of phrases. And and I think, and I've heard our friend Kerry Lykin over at Yex talk about how you know, search phrases and terms and things like that have changed. And you think about your own use of Google, for example, how long the query is now. I mean, you're asking questions inside of Google versus just typing in a couple of words. And I think that right in and of itself is what is the biggest difference. Um, And so we've got to think about it in ways that they talk about here in the article about, you know, how do we solve problems for people? I guess that's where it starts. The first thing they start with is the people, the person, your audience. What people are you trying to solve problems for? So insight number one goes right to it. Identify who your target audience is. What are those key characteristics of those current customers that will help you understand how they're looking for you? You can use quantitative and qualitative data, look at your analytics, but you can also now, most of the search engines provide you, if you're using like Google Analytics, you're getting insights to try to understand who's out there looking to get onto your website. 
I think also with our organizations, we we sometimes have to prioritize and say, look, our website is for patients or potential patients, or we may be building out sections of our site that are for people that are looking for jobs or what have you. Yeah, and I mean, we do this with social media as well. It's not like a one size fits all. Let's just put content everywhere. You're trying to focus things on the types of people that use Facebook versus Instagram versus you know LinkedIn or Twitter or what you know whatever it may be. So that persona development's interesting. It is a lot of like who is here, but sometimes it's a lot of who's not here. The second thing that they mention: define your topic area. Yeah. So, I mean, your goal is to create content that people want to read or consume. You know, it could be could be video content or whatever it is. Uh, your purpose and expertise should be at the heart of everything you write. I think we find ourselves maybe spreading ourselves, we spread ourselves too thin, potentially. You know, we can't be all things to all people. So what are those strategic goals of the organization? And so that's really how you should be defining your topic area in my mind. Okay. So now you have your target audience and you have your target area, now you find those keywords that meet your audience's needs. They outline four quick steps on how to do that. Begin with a broad search term strategy that relates to your core content. So let's say if orthopedics, you want to look at sort of the broader terms that are related to the orthopedic searches in your marketplace. The step two, though, is then narrow that scope by considering what your core differentiating services are, anything that might be topical or local, maybe even those specific things that you're really well known for and what questions people ask. And then you kind of piece it all together. They also suggest maybe using a lot of free keyword research tools that are out there to help you. That kind of dovetails nicely into their fourth point here, which is to optimize at every turn. So you can use a lot of those tools certainly to optimize as you go, a lot of rinse and repeat. They say to focus on H1s, H2, metadata, you know, all that stuff, uh, alt tags, things like that. I think that's important. Um, and again, the search engines, i.e. Google, really like that kind of stuff. You know, So they want to be able to see that uh, there's a very systematic approach to how things are built. So that's a real black or white uh, type scenario in my mind. They're talking here about creating content with keywords that are relevant to the needs and deliver value. You can kind of see how these things are starting to build. You know, who are we trying to reach? What are your topics uh, that you're trying to focus on? Uh, in, their, in their building, right? Uh, making sure that we're meeting the audience's needs, we're optimizing. You mentioned doing things that the search engines really like. Well, one of the other things that the search engines like is insight number five, keeping information up to date. Now, that's a hard one if you think about it. But they say here that you should do whatever you can to show them that your site is fresh, is current, a reliable source for information. Oftentimes, when you think about a hospital website, you know, there are static pages that you don't update that frequently. What is your department and the driving directions and things like that? That's pretty much static. And those things don't change as frequently as normal. But when you think about constantly updating content, it, that tends to kind of fall into things like more like blogging or other types of insightful content that you can keep fresh and relevant and topical. Try to find a way to federate some of that newly updated content to those specific author sources through their SEO strategies. The sixth thing they mention here is to host your own content. Now, I'll say that. I'll say this. We're, we're talking specifically about SEO. As it relates to that, that, that is absolutely what you should do. Just post articles, content, whatever it is, on your own site. 
you're bringing people back to your site. You're getting the SEO value of all of that information or that content because it's it's on an owned property. They talk about that, the, you know, there's certainly there's value of posting in social media and things like that, but it's second. I'm not going to go as far as say that it's second. I, I think you've got to understand you know, really what you're trying to accomplish. And so, again, we're not saying you should not be posting on social media or that you should prioritize one over the other and things like that. This has all got to work together, certainly. Uh, but as we talk about the topic of SEO, uh, certainly social can link to your site, some off-page SEO type things. But but really the the value, if you're just scoring at home, is to host your own content. Yeah, I think what you're talking about, Reed, is the differentiation between an SEO strategy as opposed to understanding your customer overall journey. Because your customer journey can go over multiple different things, right? It could be social and, and your website and other places too. I like how uh, I always am left with the the one particular focus topic. Insight number seven here is <laughs> tracking your success. I always tend to get those. Here they say, you know, you want to monitor your SEO strategy to see if it's working. And here they give out four ways that you could do so. The first is through organic traffic. Just check through your web analytics tool, whether you're gaining unpaid search results. Paid search strategies is a different thing entirely. That's not, we're not talking about today. But here, when you're talking about organic ways that people get to your site, use your analytics tool to see if it's working. Also look to see how many pages on your site are being indexed and how relevant and valuable the search engines are finding your pages. Obviously, conversions, the more effective your SEO strategy, the more times people will come to your site and take that action. So FYI, be sure to, in your SEO strategy, include a call to action on the site that you're driving them to so you can measure that. And then lastly, your SERPs, the search engine results page. Those mean a lot. And in fact, those are expanding even further. And we'll talk about that later on in this uh, podcast when we get into schema because schema gets really into starting to understand not only the SERPs, but even the knowledge panels of Google and things like that. But before we get to that and that interview, we're going to take a quick break. And then you and I are going to come back and talk about the second S that supports your content strategy and that's structure. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So before the break, we talked a little bit about SEO. Well, not a little bit. We talked a decent amount about SEO. We're going to touch on one more topic, structure, before we get to today's uh, today's interview. So we've got an article from uxdesign.cc. It's a very UX sounding website URL, but um, <laughs> <clears throat> .cc called Understanding Content Strategy, The Basics. They start off by talking about that content strategy really has two, two major components. The content part 
uh, and the strategy of the governance part. They actually call it content design and system design. And they actually have a really nice schematic in this article that you can kind of look at, which is a very simple layout of the different elements behind it. But let's we'll get into it in turn. Let's first talk about content design. Content design is the part of your strategy where you let the content do the talking. This really relies on effective writing, understanding uh, how content is presented, and meeting the needs of the users, both by quality and quantity of your content. There's two sections in here. First one they they have titled editorial. So the idea of knowing what you're writing about, that you have a clear idea of the goals, the expectations, things like that. They say if you're a content strategist, some of the necessary questions that you'll find yourself asking are things like what type of content do you need to write about to meet the needs of your audience? How are you going to write the content? What tone, voice, you know, that, that type of thing. What, what's the most effective way to communicate this? And ultimately, what are, what are the goals? You know, what are we trying to achieve here? Is it just, are we trying to educate folks? Are we trying to encourage them to take action of some sort? You know, that, that type of thing. And that is not surprisingly also a big part of your SEO strategy, as we talked about before. But the other half of this content design part is the experience. And in this case, what they mean by experience is the experience that when they reach your, your whatever digital channel that you're talking about, you want to make sure that things are easy for them to find information, things are usable and useful to them, so that they not only get a better experience, but it doesn't leave them with a bad taste in their mouth. You know, Nothing worse than coming to a site, you can't find the information you're looking for, you'll just leave and go somewhere else. How are people interacting with your content? How can we track to see how many how much time people are spending on this type of content versus this type of content on your page? How can you make these interactions more effective? How can you make your content more attractive and useful at the same time? Now, that's interesting. I was actually just looking at another hospital website where they were presenting safe care in their uh, hospital setting, and they decided to use an infographic as a way to describe how they're dealing with safety. They found that to be, A, more attractive and much more useful. They were able to tell the story much more quicker. Then lastly, the last question they say is, ask how can you help the audience find what they're looking for with very little time effort on their end? How can you minimize the clicks that they take? How can you present things like appointment schedules right on the page so they don't have to click in and log into the portal and those sorts of things? This is all built into the experience design part of content design. That takes you through a little bit of of content design, the editorial, the experience piece. And then the other half of the equation they talk about is systems design. And so this really is, you know, dealing with the governance and the strategy of what you already have available and the future content that's coming. This aspect involves more decision making and a little bit more focus on how people inside your organization can help support that. And spoiler alert, when you're talking about digital content, those people are the people that are responsible for developing your website and developing the apps and developing everything else, those, those, you know, those experiences. So again, this also has two sections to it, Reed. The first is structure. We've heard the term structure before, haven't we, Reed? Yeah, absolutely. And they they talk about it here is is in the sense of giving structure to the content and that that is you know so important that it can provide you with a roadmap to the future and where you're thinking about you know the nature of what's being produced. Right? So what channels 
can we use to create, share, distribute the content? So that could be blogs, that could be social, you know, things like that. You know, how can you organize your content in a better way? Do you need to break it into chapters, sections, series, individual articles? We've talked a lot about this over the years with just podcasting, you know, the types of podcast, the architecture of the episode, but also is it a serial-based show? Is it a season, right? Is it just kind of ongoing? You know, those types of things. And then, you know, what are the connections between different parts of your content? How do some sections link to the others? And then, you know, they talk about that the idea of creating information architecture will help, you know, in really guiding this process. Yeah, good information architecture really gets into this. And you could take structure even further because most new content management systems or many of the websites that we're building nowadays use structured content in a way so that you can now create customized, personalized experiences. So imagine that you have content organized in your CMS in a way where it has all this metadata and taxonomy and other things. And now you could start to dynamically publish pages and you know get to that utopian sense of creating once and publishing everywhere. And we've had a couple of episodes about that. Structure is so critical here. I would say that structure in this day and age becomes even more important when you start thinking about voice search, chatbot search. Oh boy. You know, all of these things are built on structured data. Now you have to start thinking about your content structure in a way so that not only is it easier for you to kind of digest how you're going to write it and display it, but so now that your technical systems can present it in such a way. The other part of the equation here is after structure is process as we think about systems design. And so the process really is exactly what it sounds like to have a clear idea about the task, the responsibilities, you know, the kind of the governance, if you will, of you know, the people that are interacting and kind of ensuring uh, that this content makes it out in the world. You know, so these are things like who's going to create what, who reviews it. A lot of times in the nature of the software, the technology that we're using, so like content management systems, some people can create certain content, but they can't publish it. You know, some people can't create, but they can approve. So like kind of what does that look like? So who makes decisions about what part of that process and actually making the content live? So you see a lot of things around collaboration. Certainly there's teams and groups and lots of ways you can structure this, uh, certainly depending on the complexity of the organization, what specifically we're talking about, the tools and technologies, features, and, and things like that. Yeah, and I think a, another important part of this is also making sure your content stays fresh. Remember we talked about that before? Now you have to also, you have systems in place where you can start to conduct audits of content and ensure that it doesn't grow stale, right? There's nothing worse than finding that web page that's no one's ever visited for the last seven years and suddenly you pull it out and you're like, wait, that we actually do that still? Um, you know, so making sure that you have like auditing in place <laughs> to ensure your content is up to speed and is, is most current and refreshed. And again, if you have your technology the right way with your content management system or whatever else is governing your content, you could set up those auto triggers so that your content team is continually reminded, it's time now to relook at this content. It's time to ensure that this content's updated, where it's at in the process. And there's there are a lot of tools that I see organizations use to kind of help support and manage the process of this. So that right there, Reed, content strategy involving content design and system design, that and heavy emphasis here on structure is really the second S that we're talking about, overarching, that can help with your content strategy. 
That's right. Let's briefly just at least uh, define the third S before we jump into the interview here, and that is uh, schema. Schema. That's such a great word. You know, schema actually came from databases. So database schema refers to the organization of data as a blueprint for how the database is constructed. So really think about that as like all the things that wrap around the data to tell databases the context around what that data is. That's really where it came from. But we're applying schema more and more now into our content strategy and into our digital strategies. And that's where we get into things where we talk about SEO schema and schema markup. How is that defined, Reed? Well, I thought schema was a minor league baseball team in Fort Worth. (laughs) The Fort Worth schema, but... Uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. You know, it's important as it relates to SEO, really, because it 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 like really gives kind of this structure to how a web or a piece of content appears uh, on the internet. And this schema is so huge for all of your content strategy. So much so that there's a website schema.org that you can go to. Mm-hmm to learn all about it. It becomes now the thing that drives the search engine knowledge panels. It becomes sort of the underpinning of a lot of the things that are going on on the analytics world. And it really is coming to the forefront of how we as content marketers, as we as digital marketers have to start thinking about the way we structure what we're doing. And so I had the, the privilege to sit down with Martha Van Berkel, who's the CEO of Schema App, she is an expert in this, uh, very, very smart. She knows all about this, and she works with a lot of health systems around their schema approach. And in this interview, we're going to talk about, we, we talk about how she uses schema to help organizations, health systems meet branding goals, meet content strategy goals, to meet business development goals. It's just a fascinating interview, and you'll find her to be really, really insightful. So we'll go to that interview right after this break. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am actually very excited about this interview with someone that I just recently met, but I have a feeling that we'll have plenty of more conversations in the future. And that's Martha Van Berkel. Martha, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super jazzed to be here. Yeah, you are a, a, a new guest on our show. So I would love for you to, before we even get started talking today, share a little bit about your background and what you do today. Sure. So I'm currently the CEO of Schema App, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll give a bit of background on what we do. But let me tell you a little bit about like where I grew up, because I, I think that's important. So I am coming to you live from Canada. And I spent my first 15 years of my career in tech uh, working for Cisco Systems um, out of the US. I was actually in the US and California for four years. And that was after graduating um, with an engineering degree. So I am a little technical, try not to, to get too much into the weeds. But then after Cisco, I decided to be an entrepreneur and actually started Schema App around 2015, 2016 is when we made our first dollar. So we're actually just coming up to our fifth birthday. And Schema App is a software as a service, uh, as well as we do professional services and managed services in a very super niche area of search engine optimization called structured data. 
structured data. That's such an exciting topic to me. And feel free to get nerdy on this uh, interview because a lot of the people that listen in are pretty much built of the same ilk as we are. Great. Uh, so we could go a little bit deep, but there may be some people listening in that may not too, be too familiar with schema and structured data. So why don't we start off by just setting the table a little bit and providing your sort of definition, maybe contextualize it to how it's important to the healthcare industry. So I always like to explain what the outcome is or what we experience as a result of doing structured data. And that is when we do a Google search and you see extra information in the search engine result page, like stars or pricing, FAQ, how-to information. That is actually the result of adding structured data to your website. And I like to explain it that way because we've all experienced it, right? Where there's that additional information there. So even my mom gets that when I explain it to her and my dad. Like they're like, oh, that's what you do, Martha. <laughs> now you'll hear we've used the word schema markup and structured data interchangeably. And, and since I know there's technical folks, let's let's kind of call out like structured data can be structured in lots of ways, right? Like so taxonomy, you can structure something in a SQL database with a schema. In the case we're talking here around structured data and schema markup is we're talking about the vocabulary that Google, Yandex, and Bing created way back in 2011 to help us translate our content into a language that the search engines understand. And when I talk and and why we called ourselves schema app and not structured data app is schema markup is, is more specific. And this whole area of search is about being very specific about what your content is about, what the intent of the content is about, so that Google can better match that searcher to that content. And so as you know, experts in this area of search, we call it schema markup often because we feel like calling it structured data is nonspecific, which doesn't make any sense <laughs> considering the whole thing is about being specific. Right. Well, I think there's a huge importance of the broader landscape of structured data for when you're building websites and, and you know pulling together sort of digital experiences. But in this particular use case, schema and making it translatable to the search engines becomes very critically important because of all the trends that we're seeing out there. A lot of people are thinking about, well, you know, Google is trying to make sure that the zero click searches, that all that information is is presented in a way so that when people are searching for things in, in their marketplace that your organization may support, you be able to find that right there on the front page of Google. Is that kind of the intent here? Right. So I like to think about it as, especially in the health space, like how do you bring the information to your consumer right at the beginning of their journey online, right? So, you know, you're either searching for images of the weird rash you just got, or you're asking about, you know, whether a certain procedure is available, or you're perhaps looking for a new physician. I love structured data as a way of sort of packaging how your brand or your hospital or your physicians show up right at the beginning of that that user journey. And the other part that's really awesome here is that like you control it. Google is very clear with their requirements that says like if you add this code you become eligible but it will show up like this right so I often say like you know stop complaining about the affiliate sites that have a beautiful like FAQ piece or lots of ratings like you can get that too and you can then own how your brand and how your physicians are, are showing up at the start of that journey the zero click searches um, is a fun topic because 
I, I think it really depends. You know, someone asks, some people ask me often, like, is it a bad thing? And I said, like, it depends is usually my answer, um, which is like always like, seriously, Martha, like the first it depends in the conversation already. <laughs> but it really depends on does the answer serve your your consumer, right? Does it serve the searcher? Because if they're they're looking for whether like a vaccine is available at a certain clinic, and the answer in the FAQ says like in our in our state it's like delivered by the county, and therefore like go to this resource page to find the local one to you. You know, you've actually just delighted that consumer by not making them figure out where to find that information on your website. You've been of service to them, and therefore you know delighted them. You know, I think in some cases that zero click search is in the best, you know, intent or the best scenario for that that searcher. And, and so in that case, I think it's okay. And and then there's strategies you can use, like if if you um, you know, if you know this stuff well, is that like, you know, how do you embed those links to send them on the place that you want them to go on your website, right? So you can you can sort of guide the journey appropriately if you're you're using it to um to your best ability. You know, I love the way you phrase that and position it as being, you know, to delight your customers, because quite frankly, we have a lot of, in healthcare, we have a lot of digital customers right now that are out there searching for information. And I found in my experience managing, you know, the back end, our own properties, our websites and things like that, that they can sometimes, let's say, be frustrated with using on-site search and other things like that. That's a really important uh, thread line here that we want to talk about is we're doing this to make our customers much more, give them better access to care or the information that they need in order to make better decisions about their care. So schema clearly and schema markup has clear SEO implications because what you're doing is you're basically structuring your data in a way where the search engines can understand it and present that result. I think that's what Google and Bing have done uh, tremendously well over the last couple of years. But there's been significant advancements too in the schema markup, right? Oh my goodness, tons. And I, I think you're like, which is why I still have a business, Chris, right? Like this is this is like, you know, Martha has very niched out in what we do. Um, so a couple of things that I always like to kind of step back and look at like, what are we seeing as the trends? Like, is this still important? And and just for context, like I got super excited in December of 2019 because for the first time I was called to get quoted on like top 10 things SEOs need to look at in 2020. You know, like I told you I've been doing this since 2015, right? So like, I was like, all right, like I've hit my heyday. Like 2020 is going to be my year, right? Well, we all know what happened in 2020. So we kind of structured data just made it into, I'll say like more of the mainstream in 2020. So one thing to note is that like, there's still lots of opportunity to lead in this space because it means that like people who work with us are doing it like extremely well, but there's like still only like a tip of an iceberg of people who are really heavily leveraging this to stand out in in search and, and sort of really engage. But you asked me about like what's changing. So in the last year, so Google updates their documentation regularly. 52% of all updates in the last year had to do with structured data. So like this is like all the updates they're making. The other thing I love is like, so when we had a global pandemic, literally like by April 10th or 11th, I think they introduced a new rich result, which is these decorated results to help communicate that that COVID information. You know, I always think of this as like, it's a strong indicator that Google knows it works and it allows people to get and engage with information when they use it for a global pandemic. 
And then the other thing that we've seen is like, well, this year, a lot of the new rich results, I would say like are around health and e-commerce, which makes sense. Like that's where we're seeing sort of evolution. We've also never seen as many releases of the vocabulary. So um, just like in taxonomy, where there's a vocabulary that you define, there's actually a global standard vocabulary for um, schema markup called schema.org. Schema.org was first released in 2011. And between 2011 and 2019, there were 16 releases. In the last year, there have been 12 releases. Wow. So it is accelerating. You know, like, don't believe me because I sell schema markup services and technology, but like the data says that it's accelerating. And what's super exciting is that Historically, like there's this is a it's actually an open community. So if you actually want to see who's talking about that, you can go to GitHub and schema.org and participate in the community. So my co-founder who runs um, the product side of the business um, participates in there. But what's fun is like different groups of Google are being very vocal about what they want to see. So for example, less healthcare related, but you know, around e-commerce, like Google Shopping is saying, we need these new properties or these new ways to describe things because we want to do this in Google Shopping. Um, in the latest release, um, Dan Brickley, who actually represents Google in this space, he actually published something that he originally proposed in 2019. I just noticed this as I was doing some research. And it's around health content. And how do you describe what is part, like, what are the parts of that health content? And this is super interesting because it's where Google is actually saying, like, we want to know the components of that content. And if you think of like where voice is going or also like other search things where they're calling out like calling out portions of a document as an answer, the health component enumerations in this case is actually saying like, are you talking about a medical procedure? Are you talking about a medical specialty? And they're use- the examples they're using in the discussion are like, are you talking about a specific vaccine? Like, are you talking about a specific procedure that has to do with, you know, these symptoms? So it's really interesting how we're seeing them use the vocabulary to delineate components. And these things are what we call impending. So it means that they're like agreed to in principle. When things go impending, it's usually because Google's planning something that's going to leverage it. So I often look at, you know, like, what's the documentation, what's the documentation actually telling us um, around this space? So I'm excited for the health portion of the industry, because when has there been an even more important time for you to be clear and concise and also delight our customers, right? Like, I know my stress level is at an all-time high managing a business to young kids, you know, and and also making sure I stay up on my expertise. Um, So being able to, again, bring that information in a really easy consumable way, um, I think is even more important today. I think that's pretty exciting uh, to know that Google is looking more and more at uh, how schema can be used to even further differentiate different healthcare search terms, because I think that's really important. I've also noticed that even prior to the pandemic, it was certainly moving in the direction of being more transactional, even exposing things like the ability to make appointments off of their Google properties or through the knowledge panel. I think those have applications in healthcare too, because we're start suddenly feeling post-pandemic that a lot of our patients are ready to use Google as a way to initiate and even launch a telehealth consult. How does schema fit into all of that? So two things 
come to mind. So Advent Health is is one of the the health networks that we work closely with. And one of the interesting things kind of to tie the Google My Business right-hand knowledge panel with the, the, the search results, right? So um, what's really interesting is Google's smart, right? So we have to remember this. So what they did on their physician pages is they had ratings and so forth, but they also were able to connect that that physician to that Google My Business. And so when you actually search for a physician, if the user or consumer goes to the right and looks at the physician, their rating is showing up as part of that panel that if you click on it, takes you directly to the Advent Health website. And I love that because it shows how these things are all connected. Specifically, schema markup, um, it used to, in the olden days, like in the 2015, 2016 years, um, help inform some of that knowledge panel. It is like they actually are calling out how it does help make sure the right logo is there, um, especially in the knowledge panel. But I would say like Google My Business is playing more of an, I'll say like impact on that right-hand panel these days than Google, um, than schema markup. However, the actions is really interesting. And actions is an area that is, I'll say, underutilized within schema.org. But you can actually do like even on any page, right? If you have a call to action, so whether it be a, you know, book appointment, contact form, you can call those out in the markup. And what's interesting is that like, like there were actions in 2014, 2015 around email. So we saw this a little bit like, you know, when we used to book flights to go to conferences, we were all going to HCIC and we want to have, you know, our Shishmet and, you know, it would show up in our Gmail, right? That is like view different things or confirm, you know, reservation or check-in, right? Like those are actually worse structured data in some of those emails. Um, Those ones I would say like we're seeing less of. However, you know, there are some specifically called out for voice. And so this is, again, this would be like really advanced um, in structured data like and again not many people using it so I would say like a really great opportunity and then just to level set like there's 32 different rich results and and I, I just call this out because sometimes it's like you know what, what does it actually look like so things like if you do recipes let's say on your site you know reviews for physicians is a really common one frequently asked questions how to video um, special announcement is the name of the one and and I'll, I'll provide some links to you that we can kind of call out so you know where do you go to actually see this gallery to see you know how do you want to decorate your results you're painting a picture there's a lot of tools available to us right Martha uh, from a health system perspective Let's talk about some specific ways that you've worked with organizations on applying schema. I know you, you referred to Advent Health as being one of the examples. I think it, it would help for us to contextualize that. What are some of the use cases that they're using schema? Sure. I can think of three really different ones that, that I think will, will help people understand different sides. So Advent Health's one. When we first started working with Advent Health, it was actually for them to go through their rebrand. So they were looking to consolidate 300 websites onto a new platform and move from Adventist Health System to Advent Health. And so we actually worked with them really early on because there's two things that people don't think about structured data on. One is around like content architecture. So how do you actually think about the rich results you want to get on your content right from the get-go? So especially if you're doing a giant website consolidation project, you can actually think of that from the beginning, right? And architect your content. So it's going to be performing right out of the get-go. And we were trying to mitigate the fact that they were planning to see a drop after doing the rebrand and using structured data to both inform sort of how the names were changing, but also help them pre-plan content to make sure it was really optimized right from the get-go. 
And then if you're trying to then architect for scale, so if you're a network that has multiple websites, um, such as with Advent Health, that you're sort of really kind of building that in right from the beginning. That's a really great use case and one that hits close to home. I'm kind of going through that myself. So. And then the second one I like is around Henry Ford Health System. And and so Julie uh, Goldstein-Dunn, who we work with there, she actually brought up a really interesting piece where she was trying to make sure she could articulate the value that she was, like, that the system was offering the physicians. And how does she actually, like, illustrate that when they don't understand SEO? What we worked with her on is, um, you know, we, once we had it up, though, was, like, how does she tell the story? And so what was amazing was, like, you know, it's often difficult to get physicians to give you like all fill out all their information on their profile or provide, you know, go get their updated headshot or do a video and so forth. And so she was able to show saying, you know, the more you participate and give us information, and the more you follow the processes we recommend, like getting ratings and reviews, you know, here's the journey of how you show up in search and how that changes. Here's evidence of like what we're doing to add value, but you also need to participate with us sort of as we go through that. And so she could actually show like how they look looked in the search results. And again, because it's so visual, it was like, oh, okay, that's great. Like that's value that I'm getting from this health system as a result of, you know, of, of my engagement with them. Yeah. It also solves that ever present problem that, you know, the physicians really want to know how they're being uh, viewed on the online, but also, you know, how can I, how can I get myself higher up on the search results? That sounds like a really great use case there. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned three. So let's hear the third one. I did. I have one more for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I saved it maybe like one of my favorites for last. So we also work with Sharp Healthcare out of San Diego. You know, Sharp Healthcare is really about sort of like the Sharp experience. So when I talk about, you know, like, how do you bring that information and really delight them right from the beginning, they were, you know, wanting to work with us and, and also, also like be agile with us as we make recommendations to say like, hey, we can evolve what this looks like if we, if you evolve your content this way a little bit, or if we, you know, add FAQs here, or we, we often do semantic things too, sort of in, in defining things. So their results though, so like, I have to share these because they're just crazy. Um, so in a nine month period, we increased their impressions. So how many times the result shows up by 566%. Whoa. But their clicks went up 843%. Oh my Did you hear that? Yeah. 843%. And like their position went up. Like it was, and, and all it came from was them being, us being super clear with them on like, here, this is what we can do with your content today. And then them being an exceptional partner of ours, like to evolve with us. But the part that's so exciting is that like, every month, like stepping towards bringing that amazing information forward, like to really differentiate how their, you know, consumers and, and, um, and clients like experience them starting in search. That's really fascinating. And, and the results, man, that really speaks for itself as a great approach. The piece that I would say, like the other exciting part, and, you know, as a business owner, like it's measurable, Right. And I, I think so much of SEO feels like, can I actually see or measure the result of like the efforts that I'm doing on, you know, speed, right? You can actually like measure how Google is seeing speed. With schema markup and structured data initiatives, like Google actually has specific reports to say like which impressions and clicks come from these rich results. 
And so it's actually easy for us to say, well, here we go. Like here, here's the number. This is what we drove for you today. And then we're, we're moving towards like, how do you then look at what you're paying for cost per click? And then look at like, how do you invest that in organic so that it's like continued sustained without having to pay another dollar, right? You know, I think a lot of people listening in, they may start, they may be thinking, okay, wait, this sounds like something I can't afford to not pay attention to. Are there a couple things that you could you could suggest for them to start understanding exactly how to actually leverage schema the right way? We have a ton of resources on our website. So we one of our one of our values is teaching and learning, right? So um, if you go to www.schemaapp.com, there's actually a pop-up that says like, hey, sign up for our five-day free course that explains like the basics of structured data. So instead of listening to Martha, you can read it and sort of comprehend it. And then we even have um, for COVID, because everyone was stuck at home, we actually opened up like our advanced boot camp. Now it is four hours of like my partner and I like talking about structured data in a lot of detail. So just be ready for it. We're, we're trying to get to get it updated. Um, but it's like, I'll say like some really advanced training. And then again, under our blogs, we, we, we have a ton of blogs that talk like more about like the benefits and, and sort of how you use this as marketing. And, and then we have case studies that actually detail those three examples that I just talked about. Those case studies are written up so that you can look at it. And the case studies are good because we give some specific examples. Um, and then there's one one other blog that I will also make sure you have, Chris, that's like actually Schema Markup for Health. It's actually a whole hour webinar about Schema Markup for Health. Simon Yohi, who was um, the director of web at Advent Health, actually shares his perspective on the value in that, in that session as well. I think it's great that you offer all of these uh, free resources for people that are interested in this to, uh, to look at it and evaluate it. We'll definitely put all of that in the show notes. And I know that people listening in right now are going to want to know a little bit more about you, Martha, and how to get hold of you and your company. Would you mind sharing with them ways that they can connect with you online? Sure. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn, just uh, say how you knew me. So if you heard me on the show, tell me that. And I, I'd love to connect there. And I love LinkedIn because it's easy to chat if you have quick questions or if you're looking for additional resources. We also post a lot of announcements and changes on Twitter. So you can follow um, Schema App Tool or Martha Van Brickle is just my name on Twitter. Um, so those are the two great ways if you're looking for a social media. Um, and then check out our website, www.schemaapp.com. Um, again, tons of resources there. And then if you are interested in a conversation, just uh, contact us through there. That's awesome, Martha. Well, it's so much information. We, you know, a, a really hard to capture in just one interview. We'll have to have you back on to discuss uh, some specifics and go maybe deep dive into some of these specific issues that you're seeing. But for today, thank you so much for all of your time and your information. It's been very helpful. Thanks so much for having me. All right, special thanks to Martha for coming on the show. I think your know, schema is interesting in the sense that uh, as we think about like Google wanting people to stay on search engine result pages and not click through, right? They're trying to retain people there. You know, things like this is what's going to really, um, you know, maybe move the needle uh, and make sure that what we have articulated, uh, in this case, search engine result pages is really serving the needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great to have her come on the show and share some knowledge. Before we wrap up the show, quick plug for the TPS report. Uh, if you sign up for that, you get the five articles delivered to your inbox every Monday morning. Also the, on there, there are some quick links for all upcoming industry education. 
I think, you know, we are starting to see things, I don't know, we'll say get back to normal, but I think we're we're trending in the right direction, let's say. So I think we'll have some people at conferences this year. So be sure to uh, click through, get registered, find out when these are. They're all listed there at the bottom of the email. And if we're missing something, let us know. We certainly like to like to make sure we have that that rounded out. And then uh, let's do a couple of recommendations before uh, we wrap up the show. What you got? Yeah, sure, Reed. Um, I know that on before on the show in the recommendation section, we've recommended podcasts. We've also recommended books. Yes. Today, I'm going to recommend a book based on a podcast. Oh. It's called The 99% Invisible City. So it comes from the 99% Invisible podcast, which I've, I think in one of our earliest shows, I've, re- I've uh, recommended it. It's still a, a podcast I listen to every week, a design podcast that talks about a variety of things. They created a book that's uh, called The 99% Invisible City. And it is about various things that happen within the city itself, or things that are designed within the city. I just finished it. And I may have recommended it before on the show, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to re-recommend it again if I did, because it is fascinating. Little tiny snippets about a variety of different things. Why manhole covers are designed the way they are designed. Why light poles are designed the way they are designed. Like they even get into the moonlight structures that are in Austin, Texas alone. Uh, Do you remember those? They're like big structures with big moonlight globes, moon-sized globes at the top. I don't. They were designed to bring daylight into the nighttime of Austin. And it was just really fascinating. They get into a variety of different things. It goes all over from things that you see to things you don't see. This book was just really incredible. And it's such an easy read. I was able to just read little sections. Like each chapter is like maybe a page or two. And it's, they're all different and distinct, but um, they're just, it's just fascinating. So, um, you know, I just completed it. And I, I have to say, this is a book I strongly uh, would recommend to anybody who's interested in a design b architecture c maybe even city planning or just you know curious about the world around them and as they're walking through the street you'll never look at a stop sign the same way after reading this book it's just fascinating and so i'm going to recommend it definitely get this book the 99 invisible city there you go well to stay on theme uh, I may have recommended this before, but I'm going to recommend it again. And it has to do with kind of summer kicking off. Everybody likes a good movie. Uh, I'm going to recommend one that that is that. It, you know, in the movie, it's the start of summer and about the you know this this kid's kind of adventures over the course of a summer. But it's called The Way Way Back, uh, named after the third or the very back seat that faces backwards in the old station wagons. Oh, yeah. um, but it's uh, Steve Carell's in it, and you'd recognize a few other folks. But it was about this kid, and he ends up working at a water park in the summer. Anyway, it, it is absolutely hysterical. It's, it's kind of one of those good coming of age, just really well done. And it's, you know, with it being the start of summer, uh, that's kind of what this movie is. And anyway, I just, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's, uh, it's a really, really good, really funny uh, movie called The Way Way Back. I think you can watch it either on Prime or Netflix or one of those. There's a few different places I think you can track it down. I'm going to have to watch this movie. It's It sounds really interesting to oh, me. And I, of course, he loves Steve Carell, right? Yeah, Steve Carell's great. He's not funny in the movie. It's a really interesting role for him based on what people know him for. Uh, but all I'll say is there's a guy that runs the water park and he is hysterical. 
there are so many good one-liners in this. But anyway, definitely worth checking out. So there it is, way, way back. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, joining us for another episode of Touchpoint. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. Uh, we would love to hear from you about, you know, maybe folks to have on the show, topics to cover, all that kind of fun stuff. So until next time, that's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you soon. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.